Love a good fright? Stream your fears with Shudder. From the legendary monsters that fuel your nightmares to under-the-radar haunts and acclaimed exclusives like Creepshow and Slasher, Flesh and Blood, experience what Polygon calls a horror movie paradise and what RogerEbert.com says is one of the best streaming services in the world. Stacked with chilling content, all curated by the industry's top horror experts, Shudder's library of frightening films and eerie series covers the horror spectrum, meaning there's something for every type of horror, thriller, and supernatural fan. Available ad-free and on the platforms you're already on. Sign up today at Shudder.com. Shudder, so good, it's scary. There's a reason podcasts are popping up everywhere. Podcasts can make you money. And Spreaker is the easiest way to start a podcast. You could literally record your first episode today. Spreaker has all the tools you need to record, edit, publish, and yeah, monetize your podcast all in one place. And it's free. So tell your story and make money while doing it. Start your podcast for free now at Spreaker.com slash make money. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com slash make money from the iHeart Podcast Network. There's a reason podcasts are popping up everywhere. Podcasts can make you money. And Spreaker is the easiest way to start a podcast. You could literally record your first episode today. Spreaker has all the tools you need to record, edit, publish, and yeah, monetize your podcast all in one place. And it's free. So tell your story and make money while doing it. Start your podcast for free now at Spreaker.com slash make money. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com slash make money from the iHeart Podcast Network. We've just received a call that could change everything. It's from a person who claims that he knows Casey well and says that on multiple occasions, Casey told him that he killed Rebecca. It was kind of surreal she received this phone call. That's my dad, Stan. As a deputy sheriff, he knows Dennis through the police department. And I'm holy crap, you know, I couldn't believe his phone call she got. I said, you know what? We need to call Dennis right now. This was on a, was it Saturday? Saturday. So we called him and said, Dennis, I called him. I said, look, you have something very important to talk to you about regarding this case. He said, I can't talk to you for a week and a half. I'm teaching some course at uh, in Little Rock or something. You, you need to know that this is extremely important. I mean, and he got, he got, you could tell he was pissed off. So he said, okay, I'll just meet you in my office in 30 minutes. You know, kind of like that. So we went down there and so, so we started off, and, and Catherine was saying, okay, Dennis, he said, what you got? Like that was his first three words. And so she started t- talking about it, and as soon as she said that, he, he was just, that was it. He just said, there's no way. He said, uh, he has an airtight alibi, and all. he went on and on. He did, basically, from that moment, he dismissed everything. I went through it, and he just cut me off, and he's yeah, like... He, just, he wasn't even wanting to hear it, and yeah. but he just dismissed it, and then he pulled out his... Iraq got a folder and started showing his pictures of him around. In September of 2004, 22-year-old Rebecca Gould was brutally murdered in a remote area of the Arkansas Ozarks. 14 years later, her killer is still out there. I've come back to Mountain View with one mission, to get justice for Rebecca. I'm Katherine Townsend, and this is Helen Gone. People confess to murders for a variety of reasons. 
So far during our investigation, we've heard rumors that people have said they murdered Rebecca while they were in prison or have bragged about killing her in order to appear tough. But this was different. This new witness said that Casey confessed while crying and that he knew things that at the time, no one but Rebecca's family knew, that Rebecca was ending her relationship with Casey. Details about the cleanup and the dumping of the body and a description of the murder weapon. I know we have to share this new information with the police immediately. So I take all the information I've obtained up until this point to lead investigator Dennis Simons. I tell Dennis about the new witness who claims to have information about Casey. Dennis quickly shuts me down and tells me again that Casey has an airtight alibi. When I started this case, I had very definite ideas about good guys and bad guys. I thought that I would go to the police and that they would follow up. But this witness is scared. And I'm worried that if the police won't even take his statement, we may lose this new evidence for good. As I mentioned before, my dad is a deputy sheriff and a notary. Though he works in a neighboring county, we check with the sheriff and he confirms that we can take an official statement ourselves. If you could just tell him what you told me. We recorded this interview for the police, but to protect the witness's privacy, I'm just gonna describe the conversation. His facts are consistent with the conversation that we had on the phone but he goes into much more detail about his multiple conversations with Casey, where he confessed. He pulls out a company-issued phone card to help nail down the dates he worked with Casey. We talk for 45 minutes. You can tell he's scared. You can hear the shaking in his voice. After the witness finishes talking, my dad has him summarize what he said in writing. This right here is what would keep you from probably having to repeat this to another officer, you know what I'm saying? I am a deputy and all this is is a, it's just a statement, a sworn statement where you say, here's what, here's kind of what happened. And then you sign it and I'll, I'll sign it. I'm a notary actually, I can do that. And then this is what we can use to go forward with the investigator on this case. And, and um, that would be the best thing to do is just, you know, you've you got it recorded, but you know, if you just, make a little quick, just a few little comments here, kind of what you said, then that'd be the best way to go. Well, we really appreciate you coming forward because at least... Yeah, you, you, you printed your name. Would you just sign your name right there? I mean, you printed it, but... All right, well, yeah, and if you think of anything else, like, feel free to text me or call me anytime. I give the witness statement to the police. In addition to Dennis, I send the information to Mark Hollingsworth. He was the original investigator on Rebecca's case. A few days later, I talked to the witness again. It seems that Dennis has received the statement because the witness tells me Dennis met with him. The witness says that when he shared his story, Dennis argued with him, shook his head, and told him that Casey had an alibi. The witness asked me whether Dennis believed him and offers to give his statement to someone else. After a few days of silence, I start to check on progress. I send an email to the higher-ups at the Arkansas State Police, and Mark Hollingsworth calls me immediately. He asks if we can meet in person at his office in Little Rock. My dad drives me there. Mark tells him he can't come into the meeting, so my dad waits in the lobby for me. Once I'm in Mark's office, I offer to talk to him off the record, 
but he declines. He looks at me matter-of-factly and says, everything here is on the record, Miss Townsend. He tells me that Dennis has put many hours into the case and knows what he's doing and that I should leave the investigating to him. We discuss some of the details of the case and he mentions that they are open to new evidence, but he won't tell me what's become of the witness statement. And by the end of the meeting, it is clear that they won't share any evidence with me. Like I said before, I understand that police need to hold back certain facts from the public in order to catch killers. But it's been 14 years, and I'm getting pretty tired of them stonewalling me. After my meeting with Mark, I start to wonder, what do the cops need? What else is out there that I could possibly uncover to help the case? While Dennis and Mark are still the investigators, 14 years have brought some changes. There is now a new prosecutor on the case, Holly Meyer. So I reach out to her to see what she needs to prosecute a case like this. So I guess what I'm wondering is, like, if you were to prosecute hypothetically a case, what would you, what types of stuff would you need? Proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Like, well, you can make proof beyond a reasonable doubt in a great, you know, number of ways. You can have direct evidence, uh, evidence at the scene, eyewitnesses, uh, and then you can have circumstantial evidence. Right. Availability, opportunity, motive but it all has to add up to proof beyond a reasonable doubt. We meet at her office. I explain to Holly all that I've uncovered. She sits, listens, and takes notes. Because I wasn't getting any help from law enforcement, which is, I understand, it's an open case. I started sort of just from the ground up. Um, um, and Casey was her boyfriend at the time who she was staying with, and, and it all happened at Casey's house. She was killed at Casey's house, and that's the place where the crime scene cleanup was. He had the motive, he had the murder weapon. What do you see the motive as? He was obsessed with her and he didn't want her to leave him. Love and violence is powerful stuff, no doubt about it. And I wonder also, like, why he was ruled out so quickly. You got any theories on that? She challenges many of the facts that I bring to her. I think the timeline was just a little bit off. You're talking about four hours off, though. Yeah. That's a lot off. I really think, I think Dennis and Mark and those guys are a little more of a drill sergeant approach, but I think Casey's like, he's like the acoustic guitar strumming guy with the soul patch, Mr. Sensitive, and so I think when he came in there and started crying, I think they just didn't think he did it. They just thought, you know, they just didn't think he was capable of doing it. Because he seems like this really sweet guy, and I think, you know, only if you've seen him be kind of psycho, you, you understand what he's capable of. Um, Why didn't Danielle call him Psycho Bear? Psycho Care Bear? Psycho Care Bear. Because she said that he was, she's like, because of that, because he has like this really sweet, have you seen a picture of him? He's got like this sweet face, and he kind of gives the impression of like the guitar strumming hippie stoner, sweet guy. There, there are lots of things about this case that are kind of anomalies that, I agree. Stand alone. That, that's one of the things that makes this case particularly challenging. Other pieces of evidence and these other statements point in other directions. I'm, you know, not definitively pointing anywhere, but just kind of, you know, all these other pieces that don't quite fit into the puzzle, either because they're not what they appear to be or they, you know, weren't sufficiently nailed down um, or they came up so much later that you know, too much time had passed. She's familiar with all the rumors and theories. We talk about the most widely mentioned theory, Chris. 
I'd seen him in prison before. He's a, a charming rogue. I mean, he's 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 when you talk to him, he's actually a personable guy. Yeah. Um, and and he seems to like toying with the police. I'm sure he does. So what have you seen of the official investigation? Nothing. Sometimes a fresh set of eyes is a really good thing for an investigation. I mean, I think so. I've worked with so many, you know, I've worked on so many cases and like, yeah, it's a positive. I mean, usually when someone kind of is knows what they're doing, it's a positive thing and it can really help. And it's no slight on anyone who's done, you know, it's just, it's just how it is sometimes. It's, it's you know, it's a good thing. I just stayed here because I really felt like I started to feel, and it was more an emotional decision. I was like, I think spending time on the ground is actually like helping build relationships. Cause like, I get it. You know, someone comes in and says, we're gonna help you with the case. And you don't really, you know, it takes time. Like I had to write people letters and approach a friend to get me to introduce me to that person. And, you You've know. You've done a lot of work on this case. You've got hours in this, obviously. Yeah. I mean, and I feel really strongly about it. Like, I just want to find out who did it and get the right person arrested. That's my, that is my single one goal. So is it impossible? Well, nothing's impossible. Um, but we're certainly not at a point where we have beyond a reasonable doubt on any one person. And there's some interest. I mean, you have some interesting premises here. I'm going to think about them. Okay. If we can, if we can shake the trees and we can get something to fall out, that'd be great. One of Holly's co-workers pops his head in the door of her office. I guess we've been talking for a while. Take my head in the door and say hi. All right, you working? No, not very hard anyway. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> okay. All right, well, I'm gonna get to work and see if I can find somebody to arrest. Call me if you get any interesting angles you've got myself. Holly seems to appreciate my passion for this case, but she says there are still too many unanswered questions. But as I leave her office, I feel confident that her energy may be exactly what we need to shake this case up and finally get some progress. Remember Laren? He was one of the people who was with Casey on the day Rebecca died. Over the past few weeks, we've become friends. He keeps me up to date with his life and on all the happenings in Arkansas. What are you up to? Nothing much. I, uh, I've got a... A uh, job I'm starting tomorrow, finally, with really? my friend. He calls me excited about a new job. But more importantly, he tells me that after almost 15 years, Dennis has reached out to him. This is great news, because it seems like the police are re-examining the case. Before I even talked to him, he had already called me, left a message, been to my house when I wasn't there, went back, only to say, I'm going to send this to you, look at it. He's talking about Laren's statement from September 22, 2004. Rather than meeting with Laren in person, he sent his statement back to him. Yeah, he called, left a message, then come to the house, knocked on the door, then went to where I worked, asked around for me, and then I returned his call, not knowing any of that. And he said, oh, yeah, well, I, uh, you know, I've been to your house and your work. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, okay. I was like, I mean, you know, and he's like, oh, no, no big deal. Just review this statement and let me know what you think. Bye. I was like, oh, pfft. seems kind of anticlimactic. Laren explains how he felt about his re-interview. He's approaching everybody to with intimidation, like leading out with that. Yeah, but that's kind of the feeling I got. He probably, you know, he probably looked up, saw that like I was on probation, you know, and all that, and was like, oh, I'll, you know, if this guy's got, you know, some kind of secret, I'll 
I'll pressure it out of him. His exact words were, Casey didn't do this, man. That was his exact words. I just feel like he's doing this to take a lot. That's that's kind of the... No. Well, once I talked to him, you know, that's that's exactly the feeling I got. You know, beforehand, I was like, well, maybe he's, you know, shaking some trees and knocking some cages, you know. But, but you know, once I talked to him, I was like, oh, well, okay, whatever. And the more, and it's weird because, you know, I think about it a lot. And, 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 and it's, of course, like scenarios sometimes play out like memories. And, and the, the truth is, is I just cannot remember. And yeah. I wish, I wish, I wish he, they would have asked me to write it down then. But I can't remember about the change of clothes thing. I, if he went home before we left to go to the movies between that two and four, I can't tell you for certain that he would, you know, that he did not. That I, I know for a fact he stayed at Sonic till we picked him up because it really feels like that may have happened. Like maybe he said that, but but then again, that's a scenario I've played out so much in my mind. That yeah, maybe I'm telling you know. So I don't know. I just don't know. You know, Laren's struggles with his memory highlight one of the biggest challenges of this case. It's impossible to forget what happened to Rebecca. But for those closest to the case, some of the details can be hard to remember. He said, I can't remember exactly the words, but along the lines of, oh, you know, some people are just in it for uh, fame, fortune, and book deals. At the first mention of your name, he, like, interrupted the whole, the whole, you know, conversation. Like, like oh, no, 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 she, she's not got any, which, you know, I guess, you know, by protocol, he's probably supposed to do. But yeah, he was like, just, just, just for the record, you know, she's got nothing to do with this investigation of what we're doing, you know. We'll be right back. Love a good fright? Start streaming and screaming with Shudder. From the legendary monsters that fuel your nightmares to under-the-radar haunts and critically acclaimed exclusives, discover what Polygon calls a horror movie paradise and what RogerEbert.com says is one of the best streaming services in the world. Stacked with chilling content, all curated by the industry's top horror experts, Shudder's library of frightening films and eerie series cover the entire horror spectrum, meaning there's something for every type of fan. Come experience highly anticipated new releases like Superhost, Seance starring Suki Waterhouse, and the Boulay Brothers' Dracula. Plus, don't miss out on Creepshow, Slasher, Flesh and Blood, and other must-see Shudder exclusives you won't find anywhere else. Available ad-free and on the platforms you're already on. Sign up today at Shudder.com. Shudder. So good, it's scary. This episode is sponsored by Maiden Home. High-quality, handcrafted furniture for the modern home. Maiden Home brings you thoughtfully designed custom furniture, handcrafted in North Carolina. This region is home to some of the world's most talented artisans who are experts in woodworking, upholstery, and finishing. By partnering directly with these family-owned workrooms, Maiden Home gives you access to the world's finest craftsmanship without the retail markup. From sofas and sectionals to tables and beds, you'll find beautiful heirloom-quality pieces that will last for years, And with over 60 fabrics and leathers and a variety of wood finishes to choose from, you can create a piece custom to your design style. Enjoy complimentary white glove delivery on all orders, a lifetime warranty, and easy returns within 30 days. To browse the latest collection and order free swatches, visit MadeInHome.com. That's M-A-I-D-E-N-H-O-M-E.com to start building your custom piece today. 
Good afternoon. Would you like to try a free sample of our double fudge brownie? Oh, sure. Mmm, that's very good. I I'll just take one more, just to be sure. Yep, still very good. Some things never change, like never being able to take just one free sample. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Mmm, is that macadamia nut I taste? Let me take one more. Sir, mm. yeah. I thought so. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Taylor is now back in Atlanta. We're still working together, but from afar. I call her from Dad's house during another Arkansas thunderstorm. Hey, man, what's up? Hey, how's it going? I've relaxed a lot more. I've just kind of accepted I'm going to be here till this is over. I'm relaxing, you know, and I just feel like, you know, it's happening. I've just got it. Weirdly, and I know this sounds... It sounds really strange, but like the fact that I'm physically here does matter. I just have to remember that. It does matter. It, does. it makes people, you know, it's the only reason it's unfolded like this, I think, because they know I'm not going away, basically. Hopefully at the end of all of this, we will have justice for Rebecca and the Gould family, you know. I think we will. A few days later, I get a call from George with some interesting updates. Okay, and I was going to tell you, um, I got a credible tip this morning that Dennis has interviewed Casey again. And um, Mark Hollingsworth is back involved in the case. Wow. It's interesting because when I went to see Mark Hollingsworth, he, he said, you know, we these cases are regularly reviewed and this and that. I've just seen too much craziness now. Because Laren was saying, look, he said, upon rereading this statement, right, he said, it occurs to me that there are a lot of holes. Laren was like, it's pretty vague. He said, and I'm trying to remember and everything, but he said, but I do remember that at the time, I thought that, like, from the time I saw Casey that afternoon around 2 or 2.30, that I, ha you know, I remember thinking I had eyes on him or someone had eyes on him pretty much from then till you know, all night. And he said, but it never occurred to me that it could have already happened. That is just crazy. It just seems like it's to the point where one of these guys would step up to the plate and say, hey, none of this makes any sense. I just question why he was ruled out. So when they when they refused to, like, rule out anyone else or, or give even basic details about the case, why was he ruled out so publicly and so quickly? That's just weird to me. Yeah. I, and it's going to come across. I know what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to paint me as some reporter who's like, you know, oh, she's just going out and doing all that. You know what? Bullshit. I've tried to give them, I've begged them to listen to this. I've begged them to listen to the information. And they've kicked me out of their office repeatedly. Told me I was stirring up shit and told me to mind my own business. And it's just utterly ridiculous. Oh, yeah. You know what they're going to do? They're going to try to say, oh, she's from New York or L.A. or wherever she's from. Yeah. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Blah, blah, blah. Remember, Dennis was only assigned to Rebecca's case a few months into the investigation. Mark Hollingsworth was the original investigator. He's now in charge of the Criminal Investigations Division of Arkansas State Police. I don't think until I released, until I started writing about it in 2016, I don't think they had done a single thing on this case. Just probably 2006 would be my guess, because that, um, I, was, I was trying to think this morning of when they went and looked for that piano leg over the White River, and I believe it was 06 when they got tipped off that it was thrown into the river, and I may be wrong about that. In 2005, it was reported that police received a tip 
that led them to drag the White River. It was never reported if anything of great evidentiary value was found. But it seems like they actually went and searched for, for it twice over on the White River, like early on in the investigation and then way later on, a um, couple years later. So, um, gosh, I'm trying to think. But anyway, um, I think that that was probably the last time anybody had done anything I actually think, after what I've seen with these witness statements, none of those guys were interviewed. They were all interviewed on September 22nd, which is the day after she went missing. So, like, it wasn't a serious thing then, you know what I mean? Like, and I don't think they were interviewed again after the body was found. Laren wasn't. I bet none of the other ones were either. So, like, he probably never had the opportunity. Absolutely. It's crazy. Dennis is basing all of his case on interviews that happened that he probably didn't even take part in on September 22nd. Because Dennis came in a little later on the case, I can't be sure if or when he conducted interviews. But Laren and another one of Casey's friends signed statements were dated September 22nd, 2004. He has not interviewed any of them until like the last couple weeks. And he's not really interviewing them. He's just sending them back their own statements. One thing that I always tell young journalists to never do, Kat, <laughs> I always tell them, I'll say, always be somewhat skeptical of what the police tell you. This is Helen Gone. We'll be right back. Geico knows there are many reasons why you ride. From the exciting adventure of the daily commute to the peace of mind that Geico always has your back with 24-7 access to claim service and legendary customer service. But Pamela Mund had one reason in particular. My skin is extremely averse to most fabrics, except for the soft, buttery feeling of leather. Thankfully, I found my clan of leather lovers in the biking community. It's been life-changing. Geico Motorcycle. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. To show you how easy it is to file a claim with GEICO, we hired a soap opera star. Gracious me, my car has storm damage and I've had to file a claim. Could it possibly get worse? Will my claims team leave me for someone else? Someone less intense? Um, no. Actually, when you file a claim with GEICO, you get your own dedicated claims team who promises to stay with you throughout the process. Oh, I've never known such loyalty. I can't wait for the second season. Geico. Great service without all the drama. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Is that Shakespeare? Nope. It's Geico. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Shakespeare from one of his unpublished works. Oh, it be not for awakening. Nay, give it thou the berries. For 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. No, it's from Geico because they help save people money. Well, I hate to break it to you, but Geico got it from Shakespeare. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Our witness reaches back out. He tells us that the podcast has been stirring things up in Melbourne. Then he drops a bomb. He says Casey came over to his house, screaming and freaking out and asking who else he told. Yeah, I got a call from our witness, and uh, it was very disturbing, actually. He asked, how, how, how's the case going? If I need to give my story again to a new investigator, please let me know. Casey found out about me talking to Dennis and confronted me about it. He was freaking out and screaming at me, asking who else I told. I don't know what else to say, Taylor. How I fucked up is that? that? Neither Taylor nor I can believe that somehow the identity of our witness got back to Casey. 
If solving this case was urgent before, it's now become imperative. We go back over the facts of the case as we know them. What is it that um, we think Dennis has on Chris? I have no idea. I think it's because, um, I think it's because, as we talked about before, both Chris and JB were in Rebecca's recent contacts. You know, he's a bad, I'm saying this with air quotes, bad guy drug dealer around town. Um, I think that also, I think that it got complicated because I think Chris and JB both probably, and you know, later on when Jennifer and Justin got, got pulled in, like I said, there's a little bit of truth to everything. Justin was still probably in love with Rebecca and you know, Jennifer probably had some kind of beef with her, although it looked like that had largely been kind of gotten over by the time of the murder. Um, and you know, JB had sold her some weed and, and Chris did deal drugs and all these things have a little bit of truth to them. But at the end of the day, someone crying and saying they did it and how they did it and why and, and describing the murder weapon. I can't get Casey's alleged words out of my head. Not, why are you saying this about me, but who else did you tell? A week later, Larry files an official complaint in the hopes that a new investigator will be put on the case. It should have been solved. It, it was an easy case to solve. It should have been solved within the first two weeks. Um, everything was there. Um, had, had the right people uh, come in to play, uh, almost immediately, I don't think we'd be where we are today. Now, the other thing is, if you look at cases that are cold cases, you know, you get you get some pretty uh, aggressive people searching those, and in some cases you don't. And the ones where there's a sense of aggression and, and we're gonna solve this just like you guys, um, they dig up things that are that are buried and that may have been obvious. So over the years, as I've talked to law enforcement, I've just sensed this complacency um, that we did our work, this is what we have, you know, we'll go, we'll, we'll still work on it. But I think they form their opinions early and I don't think they're the least bit open-minded to the fact that they could absolutely be completely wrong. Um, now my, the position I hold today is um, the longer it is, the more complex it becomes. So you, you actually have people that you can't find anymore. You have certain witnesses that may have died or certain people move on. The stories may change. Uh, in this case, you hope that maybe, uh, maybe people that were very young at the time have matured and have a sense of a conscience. You know, uh, There may not have been a conscience with some of these people. Which is, as you know, the truth of a lot of people that do heinous crimes is they just don't have a conscience. So um, I would have to categorize the, com the case now as complex. And it's been made more complex by law enforcement. We think that, that you know, they're so highly trained and, and that they have integrity. And a lot of them do. And I... I Honestly, at this point, don't know uh, in Rebecca's case um, if there's anybody that I can trust um, anymore. It is a cold case, and I'm sick of the of these people hiding under the guise of this is an active investigation. 
And all they have to do is say, well, we just interviewed somebody last week, therefore it's an active investigation. And then nobody can see the file. They wouldn't let me have her, any of her forensics. They wouldn't let me have any of her, uh, of the medical, um, uh, the, the anatomical findings. Uh, and you just want other people to be able to look at this. And so in, in a small town where, uh, where maybe one person is hovering over this, there are lots of ways that that person can kind of cover up this, the file. Uh, and I certainly don't want to imply that's being done here, but that's what—that's the appearance that you give if you don't open up. So um, when I say this is a complex case, it's been, been made complex because of law enforcement and their t complete unwillingness to uh, allow people that I could employ to come in and take a look at the case itself and maybe make some suggestions or get a different sense of direction or as they say, another pair of eyes. So even though I turned these things over to law enforcement, um, there was never any follow-up that I'm aware of. There may have been some, but I almost feel like it was just filed in, the, in that one drawer that kind of stays there and just put out of the way. And done so maybe because this feeling is we know who did it, we don't need any more. This is, who, this is who it is. We just need to come up with enough evidence, and they never seem to have enough evidence. So <clears throat> as, a, as, a, as a dad, it gets incredibly frustrating um, because you feel like if somebody put the time in it, it's, it, it's still to this day a solvable case. It just, it just takes some cooperation. Uh, there's people that have written on it, and obviously you guys are going to go public with it. I think that's amazing. And I just think it would, I think honestly, if people that have a chance to kind of pay attention to some of the things that either go on or don't go on in cases would be incredibly offended um, and disappointed. Because if, if this became your daughter or your son, um, you would certainly want everything in the world done to actively pursue an investigation to lead to some kind of an arrest. Larry is petitioning the Arkansas State Legislature for the creation of Rebecca's Law, which would allow more open access to cold case files. I don't want anybody to try that's, that's not guilty. Um, and I understand the prosecutors when they say, I need more information. I think the only the thing that's kept me the calmest is the fact that I know where Rebecca is um, and that I have <clears throat> faith um, that she's in heaven and uh, that's comforting and if I didn't have that faith then I, I probably couldn't stay composed and still continue to try to let the system work. Um, I think the system is capable of working. I think the system is hard to get to work sometimes. It's, it is um, not infallible. Um, it has lots of flaws, but as people say, it's the best system in the world. And uh, uh, my, my comment to that was, you know, there's always room for improvement. And that's the reason for Rebecca Law. That's the reason for things that, that help bring these cases to fruition and, and get them solved. It's 
been around five months since the events in this episode occurred. According to the Arkansas State Police, the investigation into Rebecca's murder is still open and active. We have reached out to the third man our witness mentioned. We wrote him a letter in prison. He wrote us back, and nothing that he said in his letter contradicted our witness's account. The police have supposedly talked to him as well, but as far as we know, they have not yet been able to independently corroborate our witness's story. Chris is back in jail. He's in the custody of the Arkansas State Police, and it looks like he may be there for a while. We have confirmed that a new investigator, Kim Warren, has been assigned to the case. Hopefully, the case will be looked at with fresh eyes, because otherwise, the search for Rebecca's killer could continue to be dead in the water. From this point forward, I'm gonna change the format for a little while. I'll be posting updates in more of an on-the-spot manner, sometimes longer, sometimes quick bites, new interviews as I talk to new people, new facts, new leads. So check the feed often. We're now in this together. There are some people listening to this podcast, many who may be relieved that at least for now, we've come to an end. But I want them to know that this is just the beginning. Because like I said before, we're not stopping until we catch Rebecca's killer. I'm Katherine Townsend, and this is Helen Gone. Gone is a joint production between How Stuff Works and School of Humans. It is written and recorded by me, Katherine Townsend. Taylor Church is our producer and story editor. Audio editing and design by Jonathan Sleep. Mix engineer, Glenn Matulo. Audio mixing and love by Tune Welders. Executive producers, Brandon Barr and Elsie Crowley for School of Humans, and Connell Byrne and Chuck Bryant for How Stuff Works. Our field producer is James Morrison. Our researcher is Sandy Klosterman. Theme and original score by Ben Soli. Available wherever you get your music. To dig into the investigation, please visit HelenGonePodcast.com or follow us on social media. Support for this podcast is from Williams. We make clean energy happen. Williams is the first North American midstream company to establish a climate commitment and an immediate approach to a sustainable future. We've released our 2020 sustainability report to track progress on our ESG goals, which includes a near-term emissions reduction target of 56% by 2030. We're leveraging our natural gas-focused strategy to fight climate change today and build a clean energy economy tomorrow. Our infrastructure and commitment are transforming the future of energy. Learn more at williams.com. How do airplanes fly? What's in this box? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Learn how to store your gun securely and make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Courage. I learned it from my adoptive mom. Hold my hand. You hold my hand. <laughs> Learn about adopting a team from foster care at adoptuskids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.